everyone, it's me, Michael Anthony Giudicissi for All Things Billy the Kid. Welcome to the show. I don't know what to call it anymore. Is it a show? Is it a podcast? Is it a showcast? Is it a poll? I don't know. Uh, poll. Anyway, today we have, I have, at least for me, an exciting show because I finally got my hands on something I've been wanting to read for a long time. And first of all, I have to thank Josh Slatton of Billy the Kid's Historical Coalition uh, for facilitating this uh, as it came from the J. Evitz Haley uh, Museum and Research Library and Research Center. And uh, he utilized his contacts down there to get this for me. Uh, because it was in the Robert N. Mullen files. So it's not something that's readily available that you can just find on the internet. And this is the secret evidence packet created by William B. Morrison for his uh, 1950 meeting along with Brushy Bill with New Mexico Governor T.J. Mabry. And this evidence packet, 21 pages, was designed to not only convinced Mabry that Brushy Bill was Billy the Kid, but also convinced him to offer a pardon for the murder and subsequent trial and conviction for killing Sheriff William Brady. Now, is this the packet itself? No, I only printed the front page out. I'm not going to expect you to read this. Uh, but uh, And I just got some junk papers behind there. But I have all the pages here, and I'll be sharing those with you. And we're going to find out, does this prove that Brushy Bill was Billy the Kid, or does it not? Let's get into it, and we'll find out right now. All right. I've worked on this, so it's nice and smooth, but we'll see if it is or not. All right. I think I'm sharing the right screen. I'm going to stop for one minute, just make sure once again. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely on the right screen. Okay, so this evidence packet, which you're seeing now, is 21 pages. There's a, uh, a list at the end of supporting documents, which are mentioned throughout this evidence packet. I did not order all of the documents with it. There really isn't any need for that because... Uh, Morrison tells you what the documents are, and it's not uh, that well. The, for the most part, you don't really need them. You know, like some were letters to Debaca uh, and Lincoln County, San Miguel County uh, county clerks to find out if he could find the uh, coroner's jury report, which he couldn't, obviously. So y- you can you can understand what the letters are for. They're really kind of irrelevant, the content of them, but we need to know what was in here and why those letters exist. So I'm going to take you through this, and I'm going to tell you up front that the this 21-page packet, you can skip over almost all of it, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but let's highlight a couple things. So we're here on page number one. You can see Robert Mullen put his name in the corner, or somebody did, to indicate that these were his uh, his notes, and this was sent by Morrison to Mullen, I would assume to convince Mullen to support the assertion that brushy Bill Roberts was Billy the Kid. Uh, It's called a statement of facts. Um, (laughs) There are things in here that are not fact. So that's a a, a very forward move. 
Um, but uh, it, regarding William H. Roberts, alias William H. Bonney, and William Henry Roberts, alias Kidd, and Kidd is referred in quotation marks for the rest of the document, so you know exactly who he's talking about, who was born on December 31st, 1859, went to Lincoln County, New Mexico in the summer of 1877. Um, okay. We're not going to read this whole thing over. Uh, we have zero confirmation that December, th the last hour of the last day of the last uh, year of, you know, whatever, that, again, is fable. I think we've dispelled that. And Brushy was born sometime in the 18, late 1860s. But this is uh, a part of where that legend began, that Brushy Bill, December 31st, 1859. Um, the rest of these, I made notes, so I'm going to skip over some of them because, uh, and I'll tell you why in a second, but you're not going to gain any new knowledge out of many of the rest of the pages. But I will point out a couple things. Essentially, what's happening here is that Morrison is going through a, a retelling of Billy's story. Uh, from the time he arrives in New Mexico until July 14. 1881. And uh, this is stuff that you all know. So the, the vast majority of this up to page 17 of 21, almost to page 18, is stuff that was drafted. And, and hey, maybe Brushy told him all these details, but it reads very suspicious, suspiciously, like Walter Noble Burns book, as well as some other contemporary books by authors, you know, in the 18. Uh, 1840s leading up to 1850. There's not really any new information. There are some notable mistakes here. Um, as you can see that uh, the, uh, the, in this paragraph here on page number, it's page number two, it's um, statement number one, they're misnumbered uh, in the digital format. Uh, but the talks about Brady coming down the street approached the McSween store building, calls it the McSween store because Tunstall was already dead. So that's understandable. And they were fired upon by four men from behind an adobe wall when we actually know that there were six. Um, Brady was shot, killing him instantly, et cetera, et cetera. And then it talks about who was indicted for the crime. Important to get that on the record because that is the thing that Brushy was actually asking for a pardon for. So a mistake in the number of men, but you know, there's lots of mistakes in history. I don't think we can do much with that. So we're going to skip ahead to what is actually, oh, no, 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 what is actually page four in the, uh, the secret evidence packet. And this one is important because here's um, uh, Morrison writing, according to, uh, this is talking about the um, the five-day battle, which is for some reason labeled a three-day battle in this document. Um, I don't know that anyone ever called it a three-day battle, but if they did, let me know who that was. But this one is only a three-day battle. And it says, according to testimony in Colonel Dudley's court of inquiry, court-martial proceedings, May 1879, three of the Negro soldiers were firing with the Murphy faction during the battle. So that's the... Uh, uh, the testimony trying to get Colonel Dudley court-martialed. 
And people say, well, how could Brushy have known about that? Nobody knew that there were Negro soldiers, African-American soldiers, to put it in the modern parlance. Nobody knew that. He had to be there. Well, of course people knew it because in May 1879, it was part of the court-martial proceedings and historians from time immemorial had access to that, as well as it being written about in other books. So it's, there's, no, there's never been, but there's certainly no smoking gun there. Morrison did the research. Morrison wrote this. He knew where to find the data. So, you know, did, did Brushy tell him, hey, go look at <laughs> Colonel Dudley's court-martial proceedings? I don't think so. Uh, Marshall uh, Morrison was an astute researcher, if nothing else. And uh, for certain, he would he, he knew, knew where to found this, find this information. So uh, that's it. We're going to skip from this page, which is as far as the packet goes, page four, all the way up to page 15. Now, you might say, why, Michael? Why not read us <laughs> all the rest of it? We love your voice. It puts us to sleep because there's nothing new. It's just that it's almost a, a, a transcription of Walter Burns Noble's book. I mean, there's nothing. It's the same story. Nothing in there would you read would change your mind about Brushy or Billy the Kid. It's just a retelling that you've heard a hundred times in a hundred other books, which in itself is kind of questionable because why if you're trying to prove that your guy is billy the kid and that he was not killed by pat garrett in 1881 i would think you would spend more time proving that rather than just telling the story of the kid to the governor of new mexico who probably knew most of the story being a governor of new mexico you spend 17 pages retreading a story that's been told many times over. And there's nothing in there whatsoever that even points to, it doesn't even mention Brushy Bill, doesn't even mention any alternate history other than what we know. But I think Morrison did the best he could with what he had. And I think his thought was probably, let me lay out this long timeline here. And so that it seems that it's very seamless, right? So that, you know, look, all these pieces fit together. Yes, this must be true. Um, interesting here on page 15, it talks about after Billy's capture at Stinking Springs. And what they're specifically talking about is the, uh, the trip to Fort Sumner and the request by Luz Maxwell for Billy to be uh, unchained, unhandcuffed from Rudabaugh, and have a private moment with Paulita, which was denied. But there was a deep kiss, uh, which Paulita said she was embarrassed about later on. But the reason this is interesting is in this letter that is uh, transcripted here, this is a letter from Walter Noble Burns to Judge William H. Burgess in El Paso, Texas from 1926. So let me read it for you. I knew of the incident at the Maxwell House in Fort Sumner when the kid was a prisoner and was accorded a farewell interview with Paulita Maxwell, now Mrs. Haramil. Uh, I knew it in all its detail, except that about the rifle and six shooter concealed by Paulita's mother in the adjoining room. I know, however, that Garrett and his men suspected the request was a trap to enable the kid to escape, 
I included this incident in my original manuscript. Mrs. Jaramillo, I may say, said Celsa Gutierrez was the kid's sweetheart. Celsa was Pat Garrett's sister-in-law, end quote. All right. Well, um, the first thing that struck me here is when you see the appendix later, where it lists this, here's a photostatic copy of this uh, document and this document and this document. This is one of the few, maybe two things that's transcripted where they did not include the original document. And it does make me question why, because especially when you get to the end, they are setting up here by including this into the evidence packet that Celsa Gutierrez was Billy's sweetheart, which she may have been. But they're certainly setting it up now because of what will come later. So it has to be Celsa. It has to be. And so they take this excerpt out of a letter from Burns, but they don't show you the whole letter. I don't know what the rest of the letter says, but I do know that Walter Noble Burns named Paulita Maxwell as Billy's sweetheart in the first draft of his book. And just before publication, his publishing company got cold feet because she was still alive, Paulita Maxwell, and said, we, we're going to take her name out. Let's just put it in as Celsa Gutierrez. And, and Burns was forced to rewrite the book. But he was convinced by his interviews that it was Paulita Maxwell. We've talked about that in other episodes of the show. I don't know if this letter said anything more after they closed that quote, because this is the only part they wanted in the in the evidence packet. I don't know if Burns said, but as you know, Judge Burgess, uh, I suspected it was Paulita Maxwell all along. And but for my publishing company uh, pulling the rug out from under me, I would have printed that in my book. I don't know anything else that was said, but it, to me, it's a little bit suspicious, at least that this, there's no copy of the entire letter, but just this little piece that fits the narrative that's included. And the transcript of the original letter was furnished by C.L. Sonishin, who was, you know, would go on to write the book, Alias Billy the Kid. So did they include all the history or just the part that agreed with their story? Don't know. You'll have to figure that out for yourself. Okay. So uh, let's move on to our next page, and we're getting into some of the good stuff here. Whoops, not that page yet. Here we go. This is page 18. Um, a number of these pages are taken up by the transcripts of the letters that Billy sent to Lou Wallace and vice versa. Again, you might say, oh, well, they're transcripts. Why aren't the, copy, why aren't the copies there? Well, many of them are photostatic copies in the appendix, but also when they transcript these, they put the uh, the date, and they put the the signature of the person signing. They didn't do that with the Burns letter. They never showed the rest of it. They they never showed, hey, well, yours truly, Walter Noble Burns. Um, uh, but on this page, we have uh, a couple of things in that now Billy has been tried, and he has been sentenced to death, and we introduce Robert Ollinger, which you can see right here, of questionable character. So we start the process of building this altar or this uh, this uh, vision of Ollinger as a bully. And again, this just is just a Bernsian thing. On numerous occasions, Ollinger taunted and threatened the kid with a double barrel shotgun, which he loaded with buckshot. 
Bell was more humane and treated the kid like an ordinary prisoner. This just reads like a novel because for the most part, it was garnered from a novel. Okay. Now I'm going to leave this page <laughs> hidden from here for now. Okay. There's a, there's a pretty significant problem coming up for Morrison and Brushy and any Brushy Bill believers, every single one. Uh, and that is simply this. The next paragraph in this evidence packet is the one that, and it, it's a total catch-22 if you're Morrison and you're trying to convince somebody that this guy's Billy the Kid. You really don't have a good option and you got to gamble on one or the other. Here's the one he gambled on. On April 28, 1881, William Bonney, alias Billy the Kid, escaped from the jail in Lincoln, New Mexico. He remained in the vicinity for a couple of days before leaving Fort Sumner. Upon arriving in Fort Sumner, he stayed with Francisco Lobato at, the sheep herder, at a sheep herder's camp. Is there anything missing there? Does anybody see that there's like a huge gaping hole in that story? On April 28th, William Bonney, alias, alias Billy the Kid, escaped from the jail in Lincoln, New Mexico. And then he went and hung around for a few days and went to Fort Sumner. Oh, did I forget to tell you he slaughtered his two guards in cold blood? One of them he shot a second time after he, the guy was already dead in front of dozens of witnesses in, uh, in Lincoln on the main street. Now, I get it, right? If you're Morrison and you're representing Brushy and you're going to go before the governor and you're going to say, hey, this guy deserves a pardon. He was promised it by Lou Wallace. We want you to give it to him. You've got a problem. That problem is very simple in that Billy committed two more murders on law enforcement officers, one of them a federal law enforcement officer because Ollinger was a deputy U.S. marshal. And so you could get a pardon, maybe, for the killing of Brady, but then immediately the feds, if I'm the U.S. Marshal Service, I'm just waiting outside and I grab you right away and you are going to be found guilty. You are going to be executed by firing squad or hanging or whatever they used in 1950. And so Morrison can't do that. He can't say, this is Billy the Kid and he slaughtered those two guards. But hey, you know, throw us a bone here. He, you know, he didn't have a choice. You can't do that. So Morrison's ploy or his play is, as the, as the gambler, he's got to make a play, is we're just going to ignore it. Maybe they'll forget it. Maybe they'll forget Ollinger and Bell are dead. But Brushy screws up even worse because when he gets in front of Governor Mabry in 1950, he says he just rode out of town, leaving the two deputies alive. Like Brushy can't even, can't even not ignore the... the <laughs> the question and go, uh, yeah, I escaped. And then I wrote over here, like he's got to add that he wrote out of Lincoln, leaving the two deputies alive. It's, I, there's almost, in fact, there's no way, there's no way you play this off and get past this point 
with the governor, with the attorney general, with anybody else, with any person with rational common sense. And that's where Morrison's fatal flaw was. It will get worse. But at least to this point, that's the fatal flaw. He cannot have him go and say, yeah, I killed those guys. Now, territorial law in 1881 said that the statute of limitations for first degree premeditated murder was 10 years. That was territorial law. Which means if you killed somebody on purpose, you waited in the shadows, you shot them dead, you planned it, that's first degree premeditated murder. If 10 years and one day passed and the police came calling and said, hey, we're going to arrest you for that murder, they could not charge you with it. You could not be indicted for it because the statute would have run out for first degree murder. There is no statute of limitations in any state in the country that I'm aware of that for first degree premeditated murder. There's just none. I don't think there's any for second degree murder either. Probably not for any murder, for uh, uh, manslaughter, any of those things. But especially for first degree, that's crazy, right? Now, Morrison should have known this, except that Morrison was not a lawyer. William B. Morrison was a car parts salesman and a real estate salesman. He worked as a probate investigator, but he graduated from no uh, law school and took the bar exam in no states. He was not an attorney. He's called Brushy's attorney, but that's a misnomer. He was never that. And so he hired a law firm to assist Brushy Bill in the, the delivery of this evidence packet and his interview with the governor. And <laughs> I mean, the law firm took the job, but they had to look at it and go, man, we have like zero chance here. We're going to get paid. We're going to drive from El Paso to Albuquerque, but we're not going to win this. There's no way. So I think, I mean, Morrison was a salesman. He probably was a pretty good salesman because he sold a bunch of people on this idea of Brushy Bill. Uh, and there's something in sales called an assumed close. And I've been a sales guy for God, how old am I? <laughs> I've been a sales guy for 30 years, maybe more. I teach sales for a living. And in sales, there's something called an assumed close. And what that means is you just assume the person's going to buy it. And then you go to the question that you want to ask after they buy it. It's not the only way to close a sale, but it's one way, especially if you have a buyer that's kind of uh, wishy-washy, like, you know, they want to say yes, but they're, they don't really have a firm reason to say no. So an assumed close would be something like this. You come into my car lot, you're looking at a car, you like it, but you're going, yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah, it's real nice. And so I say uh, something along the lines of, great, so will delivery on Friday work for you? Or do you want to wait till early next week? I, I prefer you have it for the weekend. So you get a you know nice weekend to drive it with the top down and all. I've already assumed you're going to buy it. Now I'm asking you to make a decision about what happens after you buy it. Morrison is the historical sales assumed closing guy. He just assumed that everybody was going to believe everything that's written in here. And it'll, it'll turn for you here quickly. Um, and so he just went to the, now you have to offer pardon because I said all these things and these things I, I labeled as a statement of fact but there'll be very few facts from this point out. Okay, 
So uh, Bonnie escapes. No mention of the two men that he murdered. And uh, he goes to a sheep herder's camp. This is still uh, page, uh, I think it's 18, 18, unfortunately, (laughs) document 17. Here is the entirety of July 14, 1881. And it takes up, I don't know, maybe eight sentences. The kid remained in the vicinity of Fort Sumner, New Mexico, until he ran upon Sheriff Garrett in the posse at the Maxwell House on the night of July 14, 1881, when a battle ensued between the kid and Garrett's deputies in the rear yard of Maxwell's house. The kid was wounded several times in the moonlit yard while Garrett and his men were in the house of Maxwell. He sustained a wound across the top of the head, top of the forehead, I'm sorry, which rendered him unconscious. He fell back into the doorway of a Mexican woman's house at the rear fence of the yard. The Mexican woman picked him up and took him into her house where she proceeded to dress the wounds. All right, let's go back and uh, spend just a little bit more time, okay? Because before anything else comes up, there's no mention here yet of anybody being with Billy or anybody else being killed. This is so minimalistic. And that's what you would do if you were trying to sell somebody on something. You wouldn't go into great detail. That was Brushy's downfall. He made up all these intricate stories, but they all clashed with one another from timelines and locations. Locations, You'd make up the simplest story you could and just try to sell it as if somebody would read it quickly and go, okay, yeah, that's just, that's just the continuation of everything else I've read. But what Morrison's trying to prove here is that Brushy Bill is Billy the Kid, and he had this huge, incredible life from July 15th, 1881 to 1950, and and essentially they're going to spend a half a page on that. So it says uh, a, a battle ensued between the Kid and Garrett's deputies um, in various, uh, uh, in fact, an alias Billy the Kid, uh, uh, Brushy states he was shot three times, uh, the shoulder in the jaw, knocking a tooth out and across the top of the head, that shot knocks him out. So he gets shot in the face and the head and the shoulder. Uh, there's shots that kill his partner, Billy Barlow. And then of course he's firing at Garrett and his deputies. So there's a pretty furious gun battle going on. Here's the biggest problem with all of that. What Morrison and Brushy want you to believe is that on, oh gosh, I'm going to get there. On April 28th, 1881, Brushy escaped jail and rode out of Lincoln. And that was that. He didn't kill his guards. Except there were dozens of witnesses on the street. Probably by the time Billy got ready to ride out of town, hundreds of witnesses that saw this. They saw the dead bodies. They scraped up the blood and the brains and they buried those guys. Yet they want you to believe, Morrison and Brushy want you to believe that that never happened, despite what every witness says. Yet, on July 14th, 1881, they want you to believe there was this furious gun battle with shots going back and forth, Barlow being killed, Brushy being hit three times, yet not one person in the existence of history and society in the world ever testified that that happened, other than Brushy Bill Roberts. (laughs) 
No one from Fort Sumner ever said that there was a big gun battle that night. People heard two shots. So don't believe what a dozen or dozens or hundreds of witnesses saw, but believe what nobody saw. That's the crux of their case, and it's insanity to believe that. No one in Fort Sumner ever at any point corroborated that story. You know why? Because by 1950, they were all dead. They waited until everybody was dead and buried, and then they pitched their story. All right, I'm getting hot under the collar here, (laughs) but I want to continue. Uh, Let's see if I have any other notes uh, for that. Oh, uh, yeah, no mention of Barlow. So uh, let's uh, continue. While in, so now Rushi is in the house of the Mexican woman, while in the act of dressing the wounds, Celso Gutierrez, remember that name, sister-in-law of Pat Garrett and sweetheart of the kid. Here's the payoff. We had to get her in the story because she's the kid's sweetheart, came running into the house to inform the Mexican, the Mexican woman, that is, that Billy's partner had been killed on the back port portal portal of Maxwell's and they were passing his body as that of the kid. So while Billy is unconscious and being nursed back to consciousness, I guess, uh, Brushy says some beef tallow, which I think is fat. I'm pretty sure that's what a big slab of beef fat. Um, and Celsa comes running in Billy's sweetheart where he had uh, maybe spent the night before. He come, she comes running into the house and says that Billy's partner, who's never named here, not anywhere in this evidence packet is the name Billy Barlow, because that was an invention later on, um, that uh, Garrett killed his partner and they're passing his body off as the kid. Uh, <laughs> here's... I just want to skip down a few sentences. The kid had many friends in Fort Sumner and vicinity while Garrett had none. But somehow Garrett with no friends is able to pass off this body of a, of a guy that's not Billy the kid who had many friends and people are going, oh, yep, that's Billy. I guess he's dead. Oh, well. Just another fatal flaw in this just tragically ridiculous and poorly constructed story. This continues. Celso Gutierrez, upon seeing the kid in a dazed condition, urged the kid to leave for the sheep ranch. That would be Francisco Lobatos. She stated that they were going to kill the kid if they could find him. All right, listen to that. Let it sink in. If they find him now, they know they shot the wrong man, according to this. If they find the kid, they're going to kill him too. They've already been passing the other guy off as the kid. What are they going to do? Go out and hunt for kid (laughs) 2.0? Yeah, that's Billy, but we're going to go find Billy and kill him. I mean, again, it's just madness and insanity how poorly constructed this story is. And it gets worse. She further stated that Garrett and his two deputies were in the Maxwell house and that they would remain there until morning as they were afraid of being mobbed. Billy, you got to get out of here now because they're going to kill you if they find you. But Garrett and his men are not going to come out at all because they're afraid of being mobbed. Which one is it? It just makes so little sense. There's, if you apply even the smallest modicum of common sense to this ridiculous story, you'll go, this is a fabrication, a poorly constructed one. And Morrison would seem like a smart guy. 
he must not have spent very much time on this, or he probably figured, hey, this is not going anywhere. Nobody believes me anyway. Let me just throw up a Hail Mary here. The kid had many friends in Fort Sumner and vicinity, while Garrett had none. Well, that's not true, because Celsa Gutierrez and her husband were in-laws of Pat and Apollonadia Garrett. So he at least had them, and he had worked in Fort Sumner, tended bar there. He may not have had any friends, but he certainly had relatives. The kid insisted on going after Garrett, but they persuaded him to return to the sheep ranch before morning. All right. He insisted on going after them. He's been shot three times. He's unconscious, but, and he couldn't fight them off the first time, but now with three bullets in him, he's going to go back and fight them. So now we're generating this superhero complex. Celso Gutierrez, I want you to, to remember, might have been the sweetheart of Billy the Kid, but Walter Noble Burns, who was one of the few people to interview Paulita Maxwell, came away knowing and ready to write in his book that she was the sweetheart of Billy the Kid. And only under the uh, potential for a lawsuit did his publisher make him change his book. But they put Celsa in because that's what was in the book. That was the common thinking back then, because Paulita Maxwell is long since dead. So if you really believed it was Paulita, you could have changed your story here, Brushy. But this story just came from books that other people wrote. Okay, let's continue. About August 1st, 1881, Kid left for Old Mexico via El Paso, where he crossed the Rio Grande, went into Sonora, Old Mexico, where he lived with the Yaqui Indians. Okay. After several months, the kid returned to Texas under an alias, later returning to old Mexico, where he lived intermittently for many years. Again, you're trying to prove that your guy's Billy the Kid, and you just glossed over 20 or 30 years of his life in two sentences. During a cattle drive to Kansas City in the late 1880s, he was arrested at the stockyards, suspected of being Billy the Kid. Having furnished a satisfactory alibi, he was released. This was the only time since his escape from Lincoln County Jail, 1881 that he has been arrested. That's uh, wild. They, they capture you in, it was in Wichita, I'm almost positive. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It was in Kansas City. My apologies, Kansas City. And they say, hey, we, we found Billy the Kid here. And you, uh, <laughs> you go, I'm not Billy the Kid. And they go, oh, okay. I have an alibi. Uh, in On July 14, 1881, I was a school teacher in the city of New York. Like, what's the alibi? What are you carrying around your iPhone with like pictures you took that day? So they just let him go. Well, of course they let him go because he wasn't Billy the Kid. And that's why Morrison was fine. And that's why those attorneys from El Paso were fine with bringing Brushy to the governor's mansion in 1950, knowing that Billy the Kid had murdered a deputy U.S. marshal and would face the death penalty for that. Even if he got a pardon for the killing of Brady, they had no problem bringing him there. You know why? Because he wasn't Billy the Kid and they knew it. So they hoped for a pardon if they could dupe the governor. But then if the real heat came down and a, the U.S. Marshals Service sent a contingent of men to escort a brushy Bill to hell, they could go, dude, we were just kidding. This guy looks nothing like Billy the Kid. He's only 75 years old. Come on, you believe that? And that's the reason Brushy had no problem going. He wasn't under any threat of being uh, executed for killing because he wasn't the guy. That's the only reason you would go. 
The only reason whatsoever. Now, uh, there's just a little bit more here. And thanks for sticking with me. I know I'm getting hot under the collar. Uh, Morrison writes, historical facts and legend indicate that William H. Bonnie, alias Billy the Kid, was killed by Pat Garrett in the Maxwell House that night in Fort Sumner, San Miguel County, New Mexico, and that a coroner's verdict was rendered, none of which facts nor legend have been supported by competent evidence. We're going to come back to the coroner's jury, but I want to, I want to tell you that none of these facts nor legend have been supported by competent evidence. So Morrison says there's zero evidence to prove that Billy the Kid was shot and killed in Fort Sumner. The eyewitness testimony, the burial the next day, um, the uh, coroner's jury report, which did exist. He didn't find it, but did exist. Uh, Pat Garrett's testimony himself, the award of the reward after a year, uh, albeit. But Morrison says there's no evidence. And he concludes this, I'll come back here, by saying, oh, wait, wait a minute, by saying, uh, that makes the legend, uh, so any belief that that's true, and that means the legend is improper and untrue. In other words, because there's no evidence, it's improper and untrue. Because Pat Garrett lied about Billy being Billy the Kid, it means brushy Bill is. There's something called causation. Causation is a very uh, fancy term for something very simple. One thing happens and it causes another thing to happen. Because this happened, this happened. Uh, uh, an example of causation would be, hey, I was driving 80 miles an hour uh, through a neighborhood and somebody backed out of their driveway and I destroyed their car. I was going too fast. My excessive speed in a in neighborhood where it was dangerous to go that fast caused the accident. That's causation. Here's an example of false causation. That supermodel at the club wouldn't sleep with me last night because I had a blue shirt on. <laughs> I mean a green shirt, sorry. Now, it may be that the supermodel at the bar did not like green shirts. And that's the reason she, would, she wouldn't sleep with me. But, but, but there's about a million other reasons why she wouldn't. One does not cause the other. One might cause the other, but it does not definitely. But Morrison states that because Pat Garrett didn't have a coroner's jury report, you know, because we can't find it, that means brushy Bill is Billy the Kid. That is false causation in history and politics and everything in our society is littered with that. Conspiracy theories are based upon false causation. Because this thing happened or didn't, this other thing has to be true. When there's a million other outcomes of July 14th, 1881 that have nothing to do with Brushy Bill Roberts, that could be true if Pat Garrett lied about killing Billy the Kid. One does not equal another. One might equal another, and it might equal a whole list of other things. So ask yourself, when you're looking at evidence, are you using... Uh, actual causation, this thing absolutely caused this, or using false causation, this thing happened, so this had to have happened. That's just a theory. That's a hope. It's a wish, but it's not a fact. Okay. Uh, so it does talk about, the, ooh, wow, my uh, screen 
did something funny there. I don't like that. Uh, there, uh, it does talk about the uh, coroner's jury. No mention of a purported coroner's verdict in the death of William H. Bonney has been made, except by Pat Garrett, a party of interest in attempting to collect reward money offered by Governor Wallace. Uh, that's probably true. I don't, I've never seen anybody else testify that they had the coroner's jury report, um, but certainly we later on when it was found, we saw who signed it. Uh, the said purpose, the said purported original coroner's verdict has not been produced, nor is a certified copy available. Therefore, said facts and legend are improper and untrue. So because there's no coroner's jury report, Pat Garrett did not kill Billy the Kid. That just is not true. It's not true. It's not a fact. It is a, a, a hypothesis. It's a possibility. But it's not the only one. There are many, many others. And when you base your, your entire story on false causation, it's going to tumble down, as this one obviously did. The Secretary of State, Santa Fe, New Mexico, reported that the records failed to disclose the death record or coroner's report with reference to the purported death of William H. Bonney. It is also stated that the executive records disclose a copy of the application by Patrick F. Garrett for the claim on the reward money, which was offered, and upon said application, the reward was suspended. That's true also. The reward was not suspended due to a lack of proof of Bonnie's death. We all know this. It was suspended by Governor T.J. Mabry needing to convert what was a personal offer by Lou Wallace to a territorial offer, and the territorial legislature had to vote on it. It's said that Pat Garrett had to spend almost as much as the $500 reward on drinks to liquor up the legislature to finally just get it and put it behind them. And that could be true too. I, he didn't buy me one, but hey. Okay, so this is the entirety of the evidence packet. This isn't much of, there's almost no evidence here. There's almost zero evidence for Brushy Bill, but there are a couple things. So here's a list of the documents that would be submitted along with this. None of these, um, when we get to one that means anything, I'll tell you, but these are letters between Billy and Wallace. There's the proclamation, Wallace's amnesty, change of venue for Billy's trial, uh, jury instructions, uh, blah, blah, blah. Indictment against Billy, copy of death warrant, certified copy of return of the death warrant when uh, Billy escaped. Uh, Transcript of letter from Jim East. Transcript of letter from Walter Noble Burns, just a transcript, not a copy of the letter, so we never saw what else was there. Uh, Billy Bonney to Edgar Capeless. Uh, and then here are, uh, if you can see the cursor here, these are the letters that Morrison wrote to uh, Clerk of the County Court, DeBaca County, San Miguel County, looking for the coroner's report. I mean, he tried, certainly. Um, Secretary of State blah, 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 Secretary of State. So all of these are Morrison looking to get documents. But 18 and 19 are important. Affidavit from Martile, Martile, Abel, to William H. Roberts dated August 1, 1950. Affidavit from Severo Gallegos to William H. Roberts dated November 11th, 1950. We'll come back to those. Uh, the rest of these are just letters, one from Billy to Lou Wallace, one from William Brady, uh, who was the son of Sheriff Brady, 
and then a letter from the Attorney General of New Mexico as to the power of the governor of New Mexico to grant this pardon. And as you can see, that's the end of the evidence packet. The only evidence in this packet to show that Brushy Bill was Billy the Kid would be 18 and 19, affidavit from Martile Abel, dated August 1st, 1950. Now, there were five affidavits um, that were sworn out in favor of Brushy being Billy the Kid. And if you don't know the details of them, let's go over it quickly. Martile Abel never met Billy the Kid before July 14, 1881. She was married to John Abel, who at some point years later told her, according to her affidavit, hey, this guy is Billy the Kid. I know, I know him, and he's Billy the Kid, introducing Brushy Bill Roberts. And so later on, after John Abel is gone, Martile Abel says, yes, that's Billy the Kid. And no, I never met Billy the Kid before July 14, 1881, but that's him. There are two others, DeWitt Travis and Robert E. Lee, not the famous general, that were uh, either born well after Billy was supposedly killed in 1881 or met him well after that time. So these people certainly most likely met Brushy Bill Roberts and said and was told that he was Billy the Kid, but they never met Billy the Kid in Fort Sumner or Lincoln or anywhere else before July 14, 1881. So the affidavits are not worth the paper that they're printed on. Imagine this. Imagine you're a child, a year old, and your father passes away. Your mother meets somebody else and remarries. And you grow up thinking that that person is your father. And then when you're 60 or 70 years old, they put that man in front of you and say, is this your father? And you say, well, of course. Yeah, of course he was because no one told you any different. And then you realize somebody tells you, well, actually, no, here's, here's your father. This man was your stepfather. But you would have no idea about that because you never, you were too young to remember your real father. There's no imprint in your memory of that. That's essentially what these affidavits are. You were, we told you well after the fact that this guy was Billy the Kid. And so you just grew up and lived the rest of your life believing he was. So those three affidavits throw on the scrap heap, they're useless. Uh, but Severo Gallegos, that one's not useless. Severo Gallegos, um, known to uh, 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 knew Billy the Kid in Lincoln uh, during the time of his escape, uh, knew him relatively well. Uh, William, B., uh, William B. Morrison took brushy Bill Roberts to meet Severo Gallegos and wanted to have him identify the outlaw and swear out an affidavit. And Gallego said, no. Now, the story is that he said, yeah, you look like Billy, but you're too young. I don't know that that ever happened because obviously there's no, that, that's not in, in the affidavit. Um, but, uh, and he was dismissed. Gallegos dismissed Brushy Bill as being Billy the Kid. You're too young. Yeah, 91 years old? I don't think so. But Morrison persisted and brought Brushy back the second day, asked for another meeting, and said, are you sure it's not him? And Gallegos looked into his gray-flecked eyes or whatever it was and finally decided that, yes, this was Billy the Kid, 70 years later. Okay, that's proof. 
Now, if you got to ask somebody twice on two separate days, um, I think it's suspect, but okay. And then Juan B. Montoya was a 10-year-old, roughly nine or 10-year-old kid who was out on the street when Billy the Kid escaped. And 70 years later, he was asked to identify uh, William Henry Roberts as Billy the Kid. And he also did say yes. Uh, I don't know the context of those meetings. I don't know what was said. I don't know how the, uh, how the uh, request was made. I don't know if the guy was introduced as Oliver Partridge Roberts, which was his real name, or whether he was introduced as, hey, this is Billy the Kid, remember him? Which is a leading question, obviously, um, but I just don't know. But two people for sure did swear out an affidavit that he was Billy the Kid 70 years later. Now I'm 58 and I thought about this this morning as I was prepping for the show and I thought, okay, I'm going to think back to when I was 10 years old. Now what is that? Fourth grade, fifth grade, somewhere around there. If someone had come into my class and spoken to us for a half a day or a day or whatever, um, like a special guest, and then somebody came to me now, and this is just 48 years later. Would would that person who was 20 or 30 years old now being uh, 70, 80 years old, uh, would I be able to identify them unless somebody told me who they were? And even then, would I be able to? And at least for me, the answer is no way. In fact, I don't think that I could identify any of my teachers from grammar school. I'm sure some of them have to be alive. I hope they are. If you put them in front of me and said, hey, Michael, I don't think I would know who any of them are. I mean, I was a kid. I've got a lot of memories and information in my mind since that point. Now, maybe you're going, oh, I remember everybody and I could recognize them 50 or 70 years later. That could be true. But I certainly couldn't do it. So I think these identifications are pretty suspect, but they represent the only absolute only proof that Brushy Bill Pardon me, that brushy bill was Billy the Kid. And that proof just ain't enough. The secret packet. Hey, I'm back. The secret packet of evidence wasn't even looked at by Governor Mabry and his staff. In fact, in a letter, Morrison uh, lamented that they didn't even pay any attention to it. They didn't care what was in there, rightfully so. There's nothing in there. They could have just handed over the affidavits. Morrison uh, gave a talk several months later after Brushy had died to a group in New Mexico, and he again lamented in a letter that, that people didn't even want to see the evidence packet. I brought it with me. Nobody wanted to see it. Nobody wanted to see it, I think, because it was so apparent that Brushy Bill Roberts wasn't Billy the Kid, that it would be a waste of their time. And I've wasted a lot of your time today to tell you something that you already knew. You wasted 17 pages of reading to read a story that you read in Walter Noble Burns' book and a couple others. And then when it came to the real meat of the story of how this guy supposedly escaped and went on to live another 70 years, you glossed over that in three paragraphs. That's not proof. That's a hope. That's a wing. That's a prayer. And that didn't work. So if you want the secret evidence packet for yourself, 
<laughs> get in touch with the J. Evitz Haley Library and Research Center. I think there's a cost for you to get it, but they'll send it to you. Um, I, I can, you, you can read through it. You're not going to find anything that we didn't talk about because I've read through it three times since I got it. There's just no enlightenment. There's no Eureka. There's no magic bullet. There's nothing you're going to read here that's going to convince you of anything other than what we already know that Pat Garrett probably killed Billy on July 14, 1881 in Fort Sumner. But if he didn't, he certainly didn't let a guy named William Henry Roberts go and bury a side of beef, a saddle, a box of rocks, or a guy named Billy Barlow in his stead. Uh, by the way, just as a, I, I missed that, Billy Barlow is never mentioned because Billy Barlow didn't exist. And I think that Morrison astutely said, hey, let's not give this guy a name because if if we give him a name, then they're going to want to know where he came from, where his family's from. Let's just make him an anonymous guy. And later, Brushy, you know, came up with the Billy Barlow name or or Morrison did, just made it up. But as we know, the only Billy Barlow anywhere in southern and eastern New Mexico was in the 1880 census, living in Lincoln, New Mexico, two years old. And I don't think that that's who Pat Garrett shot that night. So, hey, I hope you like the new format. I'm going to continue to do it for the most part. Uh, there'll be uh, some audio-only podcasts if I'm traveling and don't have my lovely office here. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your comments. Even the rude ones are fine. Sometimes if you're you know being nasty and calling names or something, even to me or anybody else, then that's not so great. But yeah, I mean, you don't have to agree with me. I mean, I've just given you the facts of what's in here. You do with them what you want. Uh, but in the meantime, go watch that movie, that movie, The Final Trial of Billy the Kid. You want to meet the real brushy? Well, the real brushy, at least in my mind, as the screenwriter. Uh, Thomas Fears did a wonderful job of representing brushy. Ryan Knudsen as attorney Carvinal Dean. Roy McCargish as attorney Henry Wallstead. Kelly Kidd as Pat Garrett. I mean, the list goes on. It's a really fun movie. In fact, I just got a review from somebody that says, I watched it twice, Michael. I bought it and I watched it twice in a row. It was really entertaining. And so we already, uh, we have the real heavy stuff. Like, you know, what do you want to fight about? Go watch the movie, go have some fun, be entertained on Amazon or uh, on Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O.com. Final trial of Billy the Kid. I'll be back next time. And uh, working on a uh, oh, working on releasing uh, an exclusive interview, video interview with Steve Cedarwall that I did back in November of 2020, and he's got some really interesting things to say about Miller and Brushy and Billy and the investigation, and you know what what the state could do to to really improve the the tourism around Billy the Kid. So that should be coming up in the next week or so. Keep an eye out right here. And then uh, some more interviews and all that kind of stuff. So in the meantime, I am Michael Anthony Judasissi for all things Billy the Kid. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs>